We're going to be this morning, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, this is a topic, when we talk about dealing with sexual lust, this is a topic that we are going to talk about every summer until Jesus comes back. This is a topic that we're going to talk about every Make War Purity Weekend until Jesus comes back. Because this is something, this is a topic that guys are going to struggle with for the rest of their lives. All guys everywhere are going to be dealing with uh, sexual lust, sexual temptation, pornography, things like that. And you know, as I, as I start to teach this, man, know that I don't take this lightly. This is a serious issue. When we start talking about pornography and um, masturbation and lust, sexual lust, sexual sins, man, it's a serious issue because, you know, we, we work at a camp and we see 400 churches come through here, here every year. And we hear story after story after story of marriages that are devastated by sexual sin. And, you know, our hearts are heavy for you guys. Because we know just from conversations that we have with guys week after week after week after week that guys are just getting their butts kicked in this area. In the area of of sexual lust, in the area of pornography, things like that. The guys are um, are just losing this battle. And so I, I know that there are some of you guys in this room that that's not a struggle for. But most of you guys, I'd say 98, 99% of you guys are struggling in this issue. And let me tell you, if you're serious about trying to be like Jesus, this is a battle you will fight until the day you die. Dealing with lust, sexual temptation, that doesn't go away when you get married. It doesn't go away when you get older. I know a guy who is 86 when his granddaughter walked in on him looking at porn. So this is a battle that if you're serious about trying to be like Jesus, settle in because it's going to be a long fight for the rest of your life. It is. And, and, you know, my heart's heavy because I know some of you guys are really struggling in this and maybe have never talked about it, maybe never heard about it. Um, But, you know, some of you guys, I think, probably are dealing with the guilt from sexual sin or guilt from porn use. And even and I've been here before where where you think, man, I I keep messing up in this area. How can I even be a be a Christian? Like, how can I even be saved, man? I just keep messing up in this area. And I just just want to hold out hope at the beginning and say, man, your sin can't beat God's grace. That with Jesus, there is forgiveness, full forgiveness, white as snow, new mercies every day. And what you do with your finger on a mouse, looking uh, looking at pornography or sexual sins, things like that, that can't trump God's grace. So there's hope and there's freedom. So I want to look at practical ways that we can fight. Because the reality is, fellas, we are in a battle. We are in a fight whether we know it or not. You know, 1 Peter tells us in in chapter 2, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. It's crazy when you read that verse because it says you're at war, whether you know it or not. But when you think about who are you at war with, it says that you are at war with you. The passions of your flesh... Your desires wage war against you, against your soul. It's a serious deal, man. It really is. I want, I want to look at 1 Thessalonians 4, and I want to put some definition to these terms, because you hear a lot of churchy terms thrown out. You know, we talk about lust or sexual immorality or sexual sins. What exactly are we talking about? Uh, so I want to kind of put some definition to that, but the verse I want to use to jump out of is 1 Thessalonians 4. It says this, This is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God, 
that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you before and solemnly warned you, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. It's a strong verse. It starts out saying, this is the will of God. Many of you guys are at that point in life where you're thinking, man, what's God's will for my life? And here is one of those only places in Scripture where he says, this is it. This is the will of God. He says, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What is that? It's good to put some definition to terms. What is sexual immorality? I think there are many ways you could define it, but I think one way to think about it is anything that God intends for a man and woman to experience only in marriage that you experience outside of marriage, whether that's physical, sexual, emotional, anything that God uh, intends for man and woman to experience solely in marriage that we experience outside of marriage. Or maybe another way to say it is behaving like you're married when you're not. Acting like you're married when you're not. Kind of sexual immorality, what you do. But we know that this isn't just something that's, um, that's, that's physical. Because the Bible talks about sexual immorality being also lust. Which is thinking uh, sexual thoughts, uh, entertaining sexual images, uh, imagining. And here's where we're going to get a little bit more graphic. But again, if you're old enough to be at this camp, you are probably struggling in this area. Imagining yourself... Having sex with a girl, imagine her with her clothes off, things like that. Looking at images, looking at acts online of sexual acts. This sort of thing is, is sexual lust tied in with sexual immorality. And it is a serious issue. But the world and our culture does not treat it like a serious thing. Really. The world we live in will say, yo, what's a big deal? I mean, you can look at a girl. This is what the world will say. You can look at a girl. You can imagine whatever you want as long as you're not hurting her as long as you're not messing with her as long as you're not touching her what's the big deal man it's just window shopping like i'm not i'm not messing with her i'm just thinking stuff there's no law against what i think but in the scripture this is a really big deal and it's a serious issue because you think man christians get a bad rap of being anti-sex but Brody just talked about are, are christians anti-sex heck no Absolutely not, right? Because God created it for our good, for our enjoyment, but also for his glory, right? As part of the analogy of Christ in the church, as part of the analogy of like marriage is an analogy of Christ in the church. And the most physically intimate act in there is sex. And so sex is part of an analogy of Christ in the church, right? So this is a, this is a serious issue there. But if you look in the scripture, it's a very serious issue. It's a lot more serious than just looking at a girl and saying, she looks good. I wonder what she looks like without her clothes on. Look at, uh, look at Matthew 25. I'll just read it. You don't have to look it up. But it's Jesus talking and he said this. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. We'd all agree, right? It's wrong. Committing adultery, cheating on your wife, that's a terrible thing. But then Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That is different than what the world will preach to you. What Jesus said is, if you're looking at a woman with lustful intent, if you're imagining these things, adultery is happening, not with your body, but in your heart. And he goes on to say, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown to hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, what sort of sins do you do with your right hand in the context of lust? Cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body going to hell. Another verse that tells you how serious sexual uh, immorality or lustful thoughts are, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 
The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And, the, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? As it's written, the two will become one. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Do you all understand what that's saying? It's kind of a confusing verse. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you are one with the Lord. Then, when you get together with a girl sexually, you're one with her. And this verse is saying, for instance, a prostitute, like, let's say you're one with the Lord, and then you want to get together with a prostitute. This makes, he's saying, should you then take the Lord and the prostitute and join them together like that? He's saying, no, this is a way bigger deal than just something we do with our hands. This is uh, more meaningful on a spiritual level. He says, he says after this, flee, run from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Don't you know, this is the offensive part for us. Don't you know, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God. You are not your own. Your body doesn't belong to you. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. This might be offensive to you thinking, man, I can do whatever I want with my body as long as I'm not hurting anybody. This says, well, it's not yours. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You belong to someone else. So we're to glorify God who owns our bodies with our bodies. It's a serious issue, man. When you look at the scripture and think this isn't just like window shopping. He's saying something real and deep's going on here when we're lusting after a girl, when we're looking at porn, pornographic images, adultery's going on. I think it's a serious issue because of these scriptures, but I think it's also a serious issue because of seriously, because of how many guys are getting their butts kicked in this area. Really? It's a big deal. I want to read some stats for you, but before I read these stats, I want you to know that they are virtually the same for men who claim to be Christians and men who don't. For men who are in church and men who are not, there's a 1 to 2% change in these percentages. 1 to 2%. I want to read some stats for you. 68% of men view porn at least one time per week. Did y'all hear that? 68% of men view porn at least one time per week. An additional 17% of men view porn at least twice a month. All right. So this says 68% of men once per week, an additional 17% of men once every other week. So put these together. That means 85% of guys view porn at least twice a month. Whew. Whether they're in church or not, whether they claim Christ or don't. That means just to put it in a picture for you, if you're to take 85% of this room, like you'd only take a slice like this size out. You know what I'm saying? So imagine percentage wise, this many guys are not looking at porn. Well done, fellas. This many guys are not looking at porn more, twice a month. This many guys are. If that's true of our churches, if that's true of your youth group, if that's true of us as a society, this is a big deal. It's a serious issue. Second stat, after an analysis of more than 1 million hits to Google's mobile search sites, what does that mean? Your phones, right? So, you know, you can do Google searches on your phones. Uh, Obviously, you know and I know that's not where most guys are accessing porn. Most guys are accessing porn through apps, right? Whether it's Snapchat, which you think leaves, but it doesn't. You know, whether it's a dirty Twitter page or a, a dirty Instagram account or a billion other apps, 
that allow you to, to search for porn in a way that no one can track you. But this says they anal- analyzed over a million searches, just Google searches on phones. And the stat says that more than one out of every five Google searches on phones were for porn. More than one out of every five. Think how often you search on your phones for something random. More than one out of every five searches. And that's not even the main way guys are accessing porn. Uh, I'll read you one more stat. Oh, two more. Porn sites. Did you know this? Porn sites get more visitors every month than Netflix. More visitors every month than Netflix and Amazon. And Twitter combined. Porn sites get more visitors every month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. It's just not being talked about as openly as our Netflix viewing. Last stat. The University of Montreal tried to do a study on porn use in men. The leader of the study, his name, his name was uh, Simon Lajeunet. He said, we started our research looking for guys in their 20s who had never looked at porn, but we had to stop because we couldn't find one. They couldn't find a guy in their university in his 20s that had not, never looked at porn. Man, this is a serious issue because of how the scripture treats it. But it's also a serious issue because these stats are true. This is our society. These are American men in churches and outside of churches. It's a serious issue scripturally. So how do we fight it? Look, look uh, again at First Thessalonians. The first verse said, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then he goes on to tell us how. And he says that each of you knows how to control his own body with holiness and honor. This should characterize us as men. This is going to be a theme throughout today. Brody started this morning that we should glorify God in our bodies and in our relationships. And we should be characterized by holiness and honor. Control your body. And holiness and honor. And then he says, not in a passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. So here he's talking about control your body and not, don't act out every passion of your lust. So he's talking about something you do with your body and something you do with your mind. It's not just something we do with our hands. It's something we do with our hearts, right? This goes deeper than just controlling our body. Here he's saying, don't act out the passion of your lust. There's a heart issue. Matthew 15 says, uh, Jesus says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and fornication. This isn't just something we do with our bodies. It's something we do with our desires, our wants. He tells us to not act, he says, uh, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. What does that mean? He's saying, basically, if you just obey every impulse that your body has without question, you're acting as if you don't know God. If every time your body says, look at that, touch that, experience that, and you say, yes, okay, whatever. Anything your body says, he's saying you're acting as if you don't know God. If you're obeying every desire that comes down the chute, you're acting like you don't know God. Whether that's in lust over girls that are out here, whether that's in images that we see on our phones, whether that's in relationships. Man, I loved, I loved Brody's talk this morning. It was solid. And the part that I love the most is when at the end, he was talking about the ropes that bind relationships. Dude, that was right on. I I really loved what he was talking about with relationships there. Because we get more questions from guys about relationships than, than most things. But the question we hear most of all is this question. I've asked it before and probably you guys have as well. 
How far is too far in relationships? Y'all ever asked that before? Yeah, I have. And probably everybody in the room's asked it. And, and, and before we talk about an answer to that, I want to zoom out and just talk about time out for a second. When you ask that question, why are you asking it? Because there are, there are two very different ways of asking that question. There's one way where you say, man, I want, how far is too far in relationships? Because I want to glorify God in my body. I want to glorify God in my marriage. I want to glorify God in this relationship. I want to be holy. I want to show honor. So how far is too far that doesn't glorify God, that doesn't honor God? That's one way to ask it. The other way to ask it is, man, how far is too far as in like, how much can I get away with before technically it's sin or before technically it'll send me to hell? Like, well, what's, what's the line there, you know? And I, I think as you're asking that question, search your heart and think about what your intent is. Because it's easy to see your intent if I were to say like, let's say I were to say, I, I'm married. I've been married for nine years. Marriage is awesome. I'll recommend it to everybody. Chances are 99% of you guys are going to get married, right? Which is an awesome responsibility because it means that one day each of you is going to be a pastor, not like a preacher at a church, but you're going to be the pastor of your home. You're going to be the leaders of your home, whether you're a good leader or a bad leader. And so, um, so as we're looking at the how far is too far question, what if I were to say to you, I'm married, been married for nine years. What if I were to come up to you and be like, Hey man, I need some advice. Like, you know, I've been married and stuff, but, uh, th- there's some girls on staff that are real good looking. And, uh, I mean, I was just wondering how far do you think physically I can go with one of these girls before it's like technically adultery on my wife? Cause they look good, man. What would you say to me? The heck are you doing? You know, hopefully you'd punch me or something like wake me up and be like, Whoa, time out. What are you, what are you even saying? You can't say that as a married guy, because in that instance, I wouldn't be wanting to glorify God. I'd be wanting to get away with whatever I can get away with. There's two very different ways to ask that question. But I mean, I think the Bible doesn't outline every possible scenario for anything in life. That's why our minds need to be renewed. But I think he does give us some guidelines on relationships and, and being physical in relationships. If you look at 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, y'all look that verse up. You look at uh, Ephesians 5, 3. Well, these verses where he's saying, treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And in Ephesians where he's saying, not even a hint of sexual immorality should be among you. That's a, what is sexual immorality? Why should we fight against it? Why should we fight against it? It's, it's pretty obvious by these verses and the serious nature of these verses. Why should we fight against it? But here, even in that First Thessalonians 4 passage, he gives us several reasons. The first one he gives us is, why should we fight sexual immorality? Number one, it's God's will. It's God's will for us. Number two, because God's called us to holiness. That's what God's called you to, men. Holiness. Third reason, in this verse it says, because the Lord is an avenger for those who are wronged. Meaning, if you're messing with a girl physically, if you're messing with her sexually, who's going to be the avenger there? Who's going to pay you back? Not her daddy. They're saying the Lord is the avenger against those who are wronged. And the last part of that, in verse 8, he says, the last reason why we should fight against sexual immorality, because whoever disregards this warning disregards God. That's a big deal. If you're disregarding the warning to fight against sexual immorality, you're disregarding God. It's a big deal. I'd say a couple of the reasons why you should fight it. Man, for real, you guys, most of you guys are going to be married one day. 
And no guy, when he's 10 years into marriage, thinks, man, I wish I'd have messed with more girls. I wish I had gotten with more girls, man. That would have made my marriage so much richer. Not if you're trying to be like Jesus, you don't. That would have made my marriage so much richer if I had more experiences. Absolutely not. Nobody looks into the faces of their kids, looks in the face of your daughter, praying over your daughter at night and thinking, yeah, but I think if I'd have slept with more girls or looked at more porn, I'd probably be a better daddy to her. Absolutely not. I'd say fight for the sake of your future family. You guys are going to, hopefully, you're going to pray over your daughters and sons at night. You're going to lean over their beds and pray that their little minds are going to be pure. And there's forgiveness with the Lord. Absolute forgiveness. But what you do right now will affect your future marriage. It will. Natural consequences. The last thing I'll say is why should you fight against sexual immorality? Because sex, we talked about in the beginning, sex preaches something about Jesus. So preach it right. Preach it right. I know many of you guys probably are sitting in a session like this and are just like, just feeling really guilty about things in the past. And, and here again, I, I want to say, you don't have to be enslaved by this. You don't have to be enslaved or addicted to porn or to, to sinning sexually. You can be free in Christ. What is the focus that we're talking about all week long? What is it? Absolutely, the resurrection. And I want to read a verse in Romans 6 that, that ties in the resurrection with why we don't have to be enslaved to sexual desires. Why we don't have to do everything that our flesh says we have to do. I want to read Romans 6. It'll be on the board. Romans 6, 5 through 11. I want you to listen to what it says about the resurrection. Don't check out when we start reading the scripture. That's the good part. I know a lot of times when a guy reads a long passage of scripture, I kind of check out and I'm like, ah, he'll explain it. But the scripture is the good part. We need to stay, stay in for that. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What is this saying? Because Christ died, you can die to sin. Because Christ rose, you can live in Christ, right? This is why you can be free from sexual sin, not sexual temptation. This is why you can be free, because of God's grace, because of the resurrection. Think about this. Death no longer has dominion over Jesus. And look what it says as a result. In verse 12, he talks about all this. So you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body. What does this mean? Don't let sin be king. Don't let sin sit on the throne and say, do this. Look at that. Touch that. Experience this. Don't let sin reign and be king in your mortal bodies. To make you obey its passions. Man, as guys, many of us do not like to be told what to do. Our flesh is, when someone says, do this, a lot of times, and you have to learn how to follow before you can lead, for sure. But a lot of times, the natural inclination of our flesh is to say, no. 
If somebody says, do this, our flesh somewhere inside says, no. But here he's saying, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. It's saying, do this now. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Listen, for sin will not have dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. Earlier it said death no longer has dominion over Christ. So sin no longer has dominion over you. What does this mean? Because Christ died and raised again, you don't have to do what sin says every time. Will we still sin? Yes, absolutely. But this means you don't have to be like a, like a dog that answers to its master every time. Every time your desires say, come on, buddy. I've got a dog. Uh, his name's Buck. He's a black lab, but he's a puppy. You know, he's, he's only like eight months old and he is stupid. He's just, he's a dumb dog, man. And, and I, I, he's probably okay as far as dogs go. But you know what I do every single night, every night of his life, I trick him every single night because we make him sleep in this little cage because there are a lot of animals back there where we are, you know, and he's still a puppy. I don't want him to get killed by anything. Later on, we'll let him sleep out of the cage. But he sleeps in a cage on the porch, but he hates it. And every night, like, well, he'll be out in the woods somewhere. I'll get home at like one in the morning and I'll just whistle. <whistles> Book. I'll holler his name and he'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he'll come running up on the porch like, hey, man, hey, hey, hey. You know, and he's all excited. And uh, he doesn't realize I'm standing right next to the cage. You know, and I'm like, come here, buddy. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he gets like all the way halfway in the cage before he's like, oh, shoot. You know, he tries to turn around and it's too late. Close the door. And you know what? I'm going to do it again tonight. He's so stupid, man. I'm going to be like, and he's going to be like, oh, got to go, got to go. You know, because I'm the master and he's the dog. He's got to do what I say. And I'm going to trick him into going to that cage every night, every night. You know what? Late at night, when you got your cell phone and sin's going, come on, buddy. You got to look at this. No, you don't. Death doesn't have dominion over Christ. Sin doesn't have dominion over you. You are dead to that sin and alive to God. So sin is not the deepest part of you any longer if you're in Christ. Christ's righteousness is. That's key. Here's the the thing, though. We can't just say, so quit it. So stop. And you'd be like, oh, okay, great. Well, then I'll stop. You know, because we hear a lot of verses that say, put off the old man and put on the new man. But we rarely talk about the part in the middle that's crucial. Put off, y'all heard these verses? Put off the old man, put on the new man. But there's a part in the middle that's missing. Do y'all know what it is? In Ephesians 4, there's a crucial part. Let's look at it. The truth that is in Jesus, it says to put off your old self. Now listen to the middle part that's crucial. To put off your old self that belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Here it is. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. We can't just say stop the bad stuff, start the good stuff. There's a crucial part in the middle. It says be renewed in the spirit of your minds. What in the world does that mean? Because that sounds ambiguous and churchy. Does your mind have a spirit? What does that even mean? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I think he's talking about our mindset. Like the bent of our mind has to change. 
Because our mind for years has been set on, this is cool, do whatever your body says. And now that mindset, that bent of our minds has to be renewed and changed and made new. How can that happen? How does that happen? Because it seems impossible. How can I want holiness and honor more than I want to look at images of women who aren't my wife? How can I want that? Because that seems impossible. How can your desires change like that? I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 3. Write this verse down, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. It says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now we all, with unveiled face, he's been talking about Moses and the veil over his face, listen to this next part. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is Spirit. What does that mean? Slow down. Let's take a look at it. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into that same image. Let me rephrase it. Looking at God, we are becoming more like him. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being changed into that same image little by little. What does this mean? The more you look at Jesus, the more you become like Jesus, right? The more you behold God's glory, the more you're transformed into that same image. How do you do that? Where can we look at Jesus today? Because we can't walk by him on the road, right? This might seem like the least practical advice you've ever gotten. But the way to fight against sexual temptation in your life is to read the Bible. It's to study and become a man of the scriptures. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being changed into that same image. Looking at Jesus, which here is where we do that. Looking at Jesus, we become more like Jesus. Little by little by little. How can your mind be renewed to where you can put off the old man and put on the new man? You have to look at Jesus. Behold the glory of the Lord. And little by little, you're going to start becoming like him. Your mind's going to be renewed to where you can want Christ more than you want that. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the work of God. Now, let me give you some practical tips in the last couple minutes here. Let me give you some practical tips on how to fight. This is the most practical tip that you need to be a man whose mind is saturated in the Bible. You need to be studying and drinking in the Bible so that your mindset begins to change to want what Christ wants. That is the most crucial piece. But I know, man... I heard a pastor say, it's so tough, the, the, the battle against temptation today, it's so tough because it's easier to see sex than get a snack. It really is. Because to get a snack, you got to get up and go to the kitchen. To see sex, all you got to do is pull your phone out. And this is, this is strange. We're the first culture that's been true for. It's easier to see sex than get a snack. So, man, we need all the help we can get. I need all the help I can get. Y'all need all the help you can get. And all of us are in this together. You're not a freak of nature if you are struggling with sexual temptation. Every man in this room that's above puberty is struggling with sexual temptation. Is it a sin to be tempted? No, it's not. Everybody's tempted, right? Jesus was tempted and he never sinned, right? But how did Jesus fight against temptation? Scripture. How does he mean for us to fight against temptation? Scripture. But let me give you a couple of practical things. When temptation hits, is temptation a sin? No, but you can't be an idiot. 
For real. You can't be stupid about it. Y'all know where you struggle. You know. You know where you struggle. You need to think about that right now in the light of day when you're not struggling. Pinpoint those areas. Man, where am I usually tempted? Usually when I'm alone. Usually when it's late at night. When I have my phone on. When I have my iPad open. When I have the laptop. Usually before mom and dad come back from school. Usually when I'm looking at Twitter. Usually when I'm hungry or when I'm tired. Usually when I come home from a big victory like a camp or a Wednesday night church or something like that. You know. You need to outline those areas right now. And let me give you... Um, Let me give you three tips, three practical tips for fighting against temptation and we'll be done. Let me add in a fourth tip. And this one may not apply to you right now, but it will one day. The first tip for fighting against sexual temptation, get married. You should get married. Some of you guys are like, sweet dude, thanks, I'm 13. I'll be sure to do that in a decade, you know. But, you know, I, I know some guys that are like, Man, I can't stop messing around with my girlfriend. We've been dating for the last eight years, and, you know, we're turning 36 this year, so I just can't stop struggling. I'm like, dude, get married. What are you doing? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Because of the temptation to immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. He goes on to say it's better to marry than to burn with passion. All right, so for many of you guys, that is not even a decade in view. Some of you guys, it is. So let me give you three easy tips, three tips to fight against sexual temptation. The first one, avoid it. Now, this seems easier said than done. What do I mean by this? What I mean is, you know where you're going to be tempted. And I say, whatever you have to do, don't put yourself in that situation. Put up roadblocks. If you struggle with sexual sin on your phone late at night, put your phone somewhere else. Don't give yourself that opportunity. Put up roadblocks. Uh, I used this illustration last year, but it sticks in my mind so well. Zach, the guy that leads worship, and I, we went and led some swift water rescue courses uh, on the Indus River, way up like on the border of India and Pakistan. It was really sweet. It was in the Himalayas, and it was, man, it was awesome. The whole place is like desert, and then these these huge snow-covered mountains, and it's just Man, it's awesome. And so we led the course. It was awesome. And then we, we start to leave. And, you know, the whole place is like desert and then mountains. And there's no grass like anywhere. And so we go to leave and we're starting to drive into the airport. Well, the entrance to the airport is like beautiful. It's the only grass I saw in the whole place. Like they actually have like sod laid down. They water it and stuff and they have flowers. And I thought, what in the world? It looks so strange. And they have this big, beautiful entrance. But What they did seemed stupid to me. They took the big, beautiful entrance and they stacked in all these like big concrete highway dividers. Y'all seen those Uh, big highway dividers? They stacked them in and staggered them like this, kind of like a zipper. So it backed up traffic for forever because to get in there, you'd have to turn in this beautiful entrance and sneak around all these barricades so you have to turn really sharp to the right and go around this one and then squeeze to the left and your front would barely miss over here and then you come this way and kind of you'd have to zigzag through these concrete barriers and it'd take forever traffic was all backed up and i said to the guy with me i was like this is dumb why they why don't they move all these dividers and he said you know where we're at right i mean If these dividers weren't here, someone could load up their car with explosives and just fly through here and devastate the place. Boom! When they put up these roadblocks so they can see a threat coming and pick it off. What I'm saying to you is, you know where you're going to be tempted. 
you know where that area is where you think, I cannot be caught here because it has no search history. I can't be caught here. I can't be caught here. You know where that area is. And I say, put up roadblocks right now. Avoid it. Do whatever it takes. Go to extreme measures to avoid that. One good way to avoid it is by telling other people. Because secret sin is deadly. Secret sin is deadly. One good roadblock is to tell somebody you respect because then you won't want to do it again. I had a guy in my dorm in college. He was like, man, I can't stop looking at porn. And I said, man, you should, you know, it's good that we're being accountable. You should tell somebody you really respect and would hate that they know. You should commit to telling them every time you mess up. And he said, okay, great. I'll tell my mom. And I was like, oh, uh, hold up. (laughs) You sure, man? And he was like, well, I figure if I tell my mom, then I'll never look at porn again. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And he did. He went and told his mom and said, hey, mom, I looked at porn last night and I don't ever want to do that again. So I'm committing to anytime I ever do that again, I'm going to tell you. Done. He put up that roadblock. That was it. Wherever it is that you know that you're going to be tempted, avoid it. Second thing, first tips, avoid it. Don't manage it. Don't coexist with sin. Avoid it. Eliminate it. Second thing is reject it. What I mean by this first tips, avoid those areas you can't avoid. Second tip is reject it because there's some areas you can't see coming, right? You can't. Sometimes something will pop up on your computer and you're like, whoa, and you don't have a roadblock for that. You'll be driving down the road and a billboard will pass or, or all of a sudden you'll be walking. Some girl will lean over and her shirt will fall open and you'll have the opportunity to look down her shirt. And it'll seem like if I don't do this, it's a missed opportunity. And I'm saying reject it immediately or you will lust over that immediately. Avoid those areas you can reject those areas you can't see coming immediately say no bounce your eyes off of that thing to something else third area coming back to it first one's avoid those areas you can second one is reject those areas you can't third is scripture use scripture to combat temptation i'm talking about two different ways the first way is you need to be digging in the bible for so long that your mind is soaked in the scriptures every day the second thing is you need to memorize it or have it on hand to where when sexual temptation hits you can bring it to mind and quote it fight against sexual temptation by the scripture by the scripture i'll read this quote finish well in the area of sexual purity by beholding the glory of the lord daily This will transform and renew your mind to make you want to do what he wants you to do. Then from this platform, you can put in the practical steps to fight. Let me say this. Some of you guys have messed up in this area. You know what? Some of you guys have fallen down and you feel condemned. But you know what the reality is? Don't raise your hands. Who in here is a sexual sinner? Everybody. Everybody past puberty in this room is a sexual sinner. So if you've messed up, you're in good company. If you've fallen down, it's time to get up. You've got a family to lead in the future. You've got people to tell about Jesus. You've got holiness and honor to proclaim with your body. You are young and Christ is powerful. Your sin is no match for God's grace. 
Your sin can't trump it. You clicking on something doesn't defeat the cross. Christ defeated sin. He died so that you can die to sin. And he rose so that you can be alive in Christ in the victory that he provides. So if you've fallen down, fellas, get up. It's time to get up and start fighting. You're going to be in this fight for the rest of your life. Put in practical steps to fight, but let it all be filled and saturated with Scripture. Let your mind be so filled with the words of God, be so filled with Scripture, beholding the glory of the Lord, little by little by little you become like Him. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And God, I pray that you would give us victory in the area of sexual sin and temptation and pornography. God, I pray for the future marriages that are represented in this room, God. Hundreds of guys and hundreds of marriages, God. And I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would help guys to put in practical steps now, Scripture and otherwise. That they put in practical steps to behold your glory and become like you. That they put in practical steps to ditch their phone and put up roadblocks wherever they need to to fight against temptation, to reject temptation. Lord, I pray for purity for me. I pray that you would help me in this battle. I pray that you would help these guys in this battle. We love you, Jesus, and we want to be like you. In your name we pray. Amen.